This is the Blattcast, a sometimes fast-paced but usually meandering look at the world. Hosted by Christian Blatt, his trusty co-hosts Will Sterling and Jeff DeRay. So kick back, get ready for quite possibly the longest one hour to perhaps the shortest two hours and 56 minutes of your life. And now, here's Christian Blatt. Welcome to the Blattcast, the alternate cast. Yes, Christian Blatt here, Will Sterling, and a couple of Jeffs, the one... The only Jeff Winstead making his triumphant return to the Black Cast. I was going to say, Jeff Winstead, this is the first time you're on with Will, Jeff, and myself, but I think we did that for Thor Ragnarok or Justice League or Aquaman. Aquaman, that's what it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did that quickly at Will's place. Back when movie <laughs> back when movie theaters were a thing. That's right. Remember that? There was the David Dog cameo. You get to meet Dave. Oh yeah. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so anyway, but now we're seeing, everyone's seeing, although I guess we all saw each other, but people can watch us if they want to see this on the uh, Black S YouTube channel. So that's the difference. That's the exciting thing right here. Uh, so obviously Will Sterling's here, Jeff DeRay's here. I'm Christian Blatt. That's Jeff Winstead. And for those that aren't watching, they're missing out on Jeff's sweet new background that I think is very appropriate. So I completely get the one on the left. I know that's Flash. But you tell me, tell Marvel Boy, what's that What's that blue thing that's the other Flash logo? Are you asking me or Will? I'm asking Jeff because I have no idea. Yeah, you. This you one tell me is... because it's the show and they fuck yeah. everything up, so I can't wait with it, what you say. Is that I what didn't watch is? the sh- I stopped watching the show a long time ago, but I'll tell you what I'm assuming this is, cooler Flash, because the Flash's <laughs> colors are gay and this is way cooler and so he needed a reboot. You're saying it's it's uh, it's Cool Ranch, Wally West? Yeah, there's a, yeah. there's a nacho cheese and a Cool Ranch. Nacho Wally. And yeah. is there, a, is there a, a fire Barry Allen? Like a spicy Barry Allen? Yeah, F-Y-R-E uh, um, Barry Allen. What's he's the other one? He uh, um, what's it called? Shoot. I'm drawing a blank. Doom? It's fine. It's fine. No, the, the, other, the other Dorito flavor I'm drawing a blank on. Mountain Dew uh, Code Red. Which one, Jeff Winston? Yeah, I, I just assume, like, on the show, like, isn't every season the villain another speedster? So is yeah. it, like, probably Dark Flash or something? It's not the cool reverse I, Flash. It's the same I think it's, like, a silly... Probably well, Zoom. Zoom they did as this like blue pattern thing, which was oh, like really? Hunter Zalaman, which was so the Wally Zoom. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know me. You know yeah, my passion yeah, for this. I every primary storyline of that television show was a Wally West storyline given to Barry Allen, and they ruined all of it. So I just couldn't do it anymore. Wally West is super cool in that show. He's African American, <laughs> which makes him automatically cool. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a fact. You're in trouble for this. No, that's, not, that's not trouble. That's, okay. I mean, Sorry that's, I enjoy the company of other races. Yeah, racist. Unlike Will Sterling, who's hanging out in Lily White Fraser Crane's apartment. Yeah. Does Fraser uh, even have any ethnic friends? Do you want me to eat popcorn live on the show? I mean, it that. wouldn't be a first. I, I sure. could mute you if I, if I was so Don't inclined. Do that. Well, if you're going to eat popcorn, all, I, I might was have gonna, to. I was going to say before anybody else could say it. Uh, Jeff Duray, unfortunately, on this episode of the show, is the alternate Jeff. Yeah, see, I was going to say that I, I always thought you were just inviting Jeff W. instead, but... Mm. <laughs> yeah. 
Jeff W. <laughs> well, we're here with our pal Jeff Winstead because <laughs> we are celebrating the fact that uh, there are now six issues of his comic book series, The Alternate. And we've talked to you about The Alternate before, Jeff. But I always think it's a great time to, one, give an overview of what the series is. Before you even do that, tell people where they can find it. And I guess they can find it in more places than they were able to up until recently. Right. Yeah, so you can always find it at Comixology, which is the, you know, the main digital platform for digital comics. Now you can find it on Amazon for your Kindle. So you can go straight to Amazon, just in the search field, type in the alternate Jeff Winsett, it'll come right up. I didn't know that Amazon owned Comixology. They do, but they don't integrate the platforms for some reason. Oh, okay. So if you, if you buy a comic via Kindle and you happen to have the Comixology app, you can read it in Comixology for sure. Okay. But, you know, for some people who may not want to sign up with a new service, if you already have Amazon, you can just get it that way. Um, if you go to Comixology, though, you can get the first issue right now for 99 cents until June the 4th as part of the promotional sale they're doing. And, uh, it, but it's on Amazon now as a promotional sale. And you said it's going to be as a, a part of Comixology Unlimited, right? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, hooked it up with that. So starting June 2nd. So, uh, well, so yeah, sometime in the near future. Before we even get to the comic itself, just because uh, I'm I'm curious about the way that you know this part of the business works. Yeah. How does it work that you you have a comic book and we'll get into the creation of it? But once you have it, how do you say like, hey, Comicsology, you want to put this up and charge people a dollar ninety nine for it, or or how how do you approach them? What happens? They make it real simple. So not long after they launched, they started a program they call Submit. And so it's for independent creators. If you don't have a publisher, you know, a big name publisher, you just go through them. You literally submit the book. They check it for, mostly it's quality control. Like they're not really doing, um, they're not, you know, they're not picking and choosing which project. So they'll, they'll take whatever you can give them as long as you can put the files up right. It looks right, good. and they just make sure it's not like thinly veiled uh, hate speech or something. Exactly, exactly. I mean, the big thing is like the humorously, the, the one thing they cared about was the lettering. I guess because so many <laughs> amateur comics do lettering so poorly. Uh, so as yeah. long as they think the lettering's well done, they just put it up. <laughs> so, right. Uh, yeah. They they uh, they use what they call the very strict Tom Wozniakowski scale, and if it's uh, at least comparable to his, then it's like, all right, we'll use it. Which runs a heck of a scale, nothing, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, nothing, nothing like some good uh, comic book letterer joking around. That's, a, that's, <laughs> that's what people come to the Black Cast for. Yeah, we go on John Workman, but yeah, you can go Wozniakowski, that's fine. That He's the one great. I always used to because, and people, yeah, it's believe it or not, this is like the fifth time he's come up on the podcast. It's because he's the guy who did the lettering for Uncanny X-Men. And when you have to do the lettering for Chris Claremont, you have to learn how to write like incredibly small because the amount of dialogue per page. Yeah, and over oh. the decades, smaller and smaller. Yeah. And humorously enough, when I got on, first got on Facebook years ago, I sent him a friend request and he accepted it. And I said, hey, man, thanks a lot. I always loved your work. And um, I, just jokingly, I said, I really admire, like, in the late, in the early 90s, how you managed to letter sure. that stuff from Claremont. And he said, oh, it wasn't Claremont's fault. It was Jim Lee's fault. Jim Lee wasn't <laughs> drawing enough story. He yeah. was doing too many splash pages, and therefore, 
Claremont had to write all this yeah. prose to explain what was happening in the story. No, most most things huh. were most things were Jim Lee's fault, you know. Also, like <laughs> yeah. they still are. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. COVID. I think we could just blame this whole quarantine situation on Jim Lee. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, don't don't skewer me for this, but that's Stanley's like shitty brother or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it was sort of a bad Asian joke, frankly, because I yeah. remember when I invented Jim Lee. <laughs> I saw Batman climbing on the hush, and I thought to myself that there should be a wild storm, something. Oh, who knows? It's the seventies. I'm drunk. So, uh, the, so that, that's how you submit it. And, you know, a lot of the stuff is obviously done digitally now. Did you do the lettering yourself digitally or did you have a letterer, a proper letterer? Yeah, I do it myself, but it's, yeah. it's, it's digital. So, um, you know, there are a couple of companies that make really good comic book fonts. You know, they actually, you know, Marvel and DC uses the same fonts. They just make them commercially available. Right. So I think the one I'm using now um, the, the first one, the one, the one I'm using now comes from Comicraft, um, and you know, I'm switching to another one that's made by Blamby. So it's just like different, you know, yeah. just the, this, this, the names of these guys who, some of these guys have been doing it for years. They actually transitioned from traditional lettering where you did it right on the board to digital. And so they'll make fonts for like Dave Gibbons and his hand style. Yeah. Like Dave wow. Gibbons wants to letter his own book and his own hand style. They'll make that so, so these guys did it by hand, and then they just translated this those into a computer into like a font, basically. Yes, it's, it's literally a font, and not to get too wonky, but font technology has improved so much. Like it used to be when you would get a book, like in the late '90s, you could they were transitioning from hand lettering to digital, and you could always tell because all the S's looked the same. So you kind of look, oh, okay, the S or the A's or whatever. And now the font technology is such that they can program it to every other A is a different type of A. Yeah. So, so it's uh so it's a lot more sophisticated, which is pretty cool. Interesting. But yeah, the real art now is in placing the balloons. So you know, you want obviously you want the balloons to read properly left to right and all that. So that that takes some you know, depending on how good of an artist you're working with, and I've been lucky to work with good guys, it takes some some skill to because you're you're literally placing them over the artwork itself, right? Yeah. 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 Especially if you're not doing the artwork, which I don't on this, you know, you feel bad about covering people's art. Right. So yeah. they have the script to start with. So I write in a full script, you know, style. So it um, has a panel description and then all the dialogue that I plan to insert. So they know roughly how much room to leave, but you know, sometimes they misjudge or uh, rare occasion, I might want to add something. Usually I end up deleting because what happens is when you see the art, you realize, oh, they, they've already done this for me. So right. just take stuff out, you know, so. Well, yeah, I mean, that's interesting to know that you're able to obviously make those kind of adjustments because it is, it's all digital. It's inserted yeah. in there. So uh, doing the alternate is uh, not your day job. Your day job includes uh, working for companies like Lone Rider Beer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, this is uh, one of my last two cans. I was going to say, how long ago have you had these beers? Oh, a long time. Every time we do a black cast, you keep drinking beers that Jeff gave you. And I'm like, how many fucking beers? Well, that's not true because the last time, <laughs> the last time I drank Yinglings and he didn't give me those. That's true. No, but, but I, I admire that because I had any uh, Yingling in years because they did sell in North Carolina. But yeah. So anyway, oh yeah, and that's right. These are the two that I have left because they're the hoppy ones, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I still have it. That's all right. Yeah. Give them to me. Hey, it's and those will keep longer. 
Yeah, it's it's Monday night. It's time to drink. It's fine. Is it Monday night though? Tuesday. <laughs> Might as well be. Yeah. Well, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Yeah. T I T tits. It's uh, it's also in my mind. It's still March because uh, just the rest of our lives is March twenty twenty. I just so. decided we all get a do over. So like, I'm supposed yeah. to be turning thirty three this year, but I'm just gonna dial it back. I'll turn thirty three in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I heard that. you explain that in the last episode. It was a disruption in your timeline. Exactly. Yeah, this is a weird. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So the, so this is a it's a it's a side project. A, a you know something that you started doing for side fun piece. and your side piece. This isn't your first love. So, oh, uh, how how does the idea come to you and? When do you? When are you convinced? Like you know what? I am gonna really do this instead. Of, you know, like, there's there's plenty of ideas that I've had in my life that I obviously you know. Ah, oh, Sammy, there's another thing I'm never gonna do. But uh, so what? Where does the idea come from? And when do you realize I'm actually going to do this? Well, the the idea is so you know if you want to wade into the superhero like a lot of indie comics don't do superheroes because why bother? Because Marvel right. and DC has that cover. It's very hard to sell people on the idea of a superhero they don't recognize, which is why even when Marvel and DC launch a book with a new character, it usually flops after two years. Um, well, especially when it's a great character like Speedball, you know. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> now listen, Speedball isn't that bad of a character. Sometimes, but anyway, that's a different Well, Jeff, I'm sorry yeah. we're out of time. It was There's nice no, of you yeah, to be on the show. But uh, yeah, so... So essentially, though, what what sort of happened? Um, so I, I got into comics reading Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was one of the first things I loved. And I loved that concept of the alternate realities. And over time, DC in particular stopped touching that stuff at all. They, they spent almost twenty years where they didn't do that. They had one main universe. Right. That was the whole point of Crisis on Infinite Earths. This is me actually asking because I, I haven't, I, as we've established, I haven't read it, even though you were kind enough to give me a trade paperback and I will read it. What? We will talk about, we'll talk about it on the show at some point. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, but the, the whole point of it was they felt like they had too many alternate realities and, and they wanted to kind of streamline the storytelling. Right. I mean, that's correct. like a behind the scenes decision. Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was just, so it was the, the basic idea was to make it, a more user-friendly universe for new readers, which is more or less worked for me. Like it happened right when I was getting into comics and you know, they were relaunching Superman with John Byrne and all that stuff. It was exactly at the moment I got into comics. So it worked out perfectly uh, in that sense. But over time, I started to miss those kind of stories. And I just started to think about you know, if I were to do a comic, part of the, you know, how, how would I want to do it? And so that was one thing I wanted to do. Another thing was uh, comic books. This was now. I actually wrote the first issue of the author like in 2002. And, oh, that I, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty. It's pretty old. So and wait. I, at I, what point? And and unless I'm mistaken, it was new on Comicsology in like 2015, right? Y yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I, maybe even older. I'm not sure. It's been. A, you know, we're getting close to like a year. Well, no, because I I remember yeah. how I remember how we met. Uh, was online. Correct. You messaged me about it, and yeah. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know what comicsology is, and I didn't write back to you. And then months later, I was going through, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Like, off, And it was like around the time my son was born, and that was a big yeah. reason why I did not follow up with you was because I wasn't following up with anyone. 
And because who's this weirdo who's just messaging me? Yeah. Although I think it was because on Facebook, I I was just trying to stir up trouble. And I talked about how Secret Wars is so much better than Crisis on Infinite Earths. Despite the fact that I never read Crisis, I just was being a dick, basically. Yeah. 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 You were on Twitter and I actually happened to be yeah. in a grocery when I saw you tweet that. And I don't know that I actually, I, I'd been following you on Twitter, but I hadn't engaged you. That was right. a bridge You were so stalking would, me thanks to the Dennis Miller show. Yeah, yeah I literally put the ice cream <laughs> back into the freezer, stopped in the middle of an hour, and say, this is, I, I got to put this guy right. So, yeah, that was essentially that. How yeah, and look, I, I, objectively, Secret Wars didn't really impact anything other than it gave Spider Man a black costume. But Secret, uh, but a Crisis is like a, a super pivotal moment. And like you said, it defined their universe, their singular universe for like 20 years. Secret Wars, uh, Colossus broke up with Kitty Pride, and uh, Spider-Man got a black costume. That, that's really, like, it didn't really change anything. You know, yeah. it was like status quo, like, the month after every, all the heroes went back to Earth. So yeah. If it was supposed to change everything, the war wouldn't be secret. It would be more public. That's, that's right. a very good point. Yeah. And to, to, par to paraphrase Guns N' Roses, what's so secret about wars anyway? But Back to Jeff Winstead. So 2002, you write the first issue. Right. And this is just written, right? You didn't draw any of it. You didn't do any sketches. Yeah, or the anything. original idea was I was going to draw it. And so the other idea I had was, um, so at the, at the time and even now, a lot of comics were doing this like decompressed storytelling. And so it sort of became a lost art. So what you would do is you would read a book and you'd read it in like 10 minutes and, and it felt like they were writing for trade paperbacks. So when trade paperbacks have really... Uh, right. important in the book market. So Barnes and Noble in the sort of early days of Amazon, they were they would do every storyline with six issues because they could easily fit that amount into a trade paperback. That's so funny. I never really thought of it in that context, but I remember yeah. like, obviously this is like me in like the early 2000s, late 90s, yes. like going to Barnes and Noble, seeing these things. I'm like, well, cool. Like I've been collecting comics since I was a kid, but like it was easy to collect trade paperbacks because they were like at least six issues full exactly. storyline. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's I a great thing, you know, for, for newer readers or for people sure. who, you know, wait for the trays, who's going to read a full storyline in one go. The problem was, and um, this writer named Brian Michael Bendis is like the epitome of this. Like, he's a really uh, good writer, but his uh, stuff is very decompressed. So you'll read, like, he was writing Daredevil all the time. So you read an issue of Daredevil, it takes you five minutes, and literally it should have been, in an old comic book from the 80s, three pages. Yeah. Right, and and just to sort of extend issue. that time period, the uh, the standalone Spider-Man book that Todd McFarlane did, which I still contend that Spider-Man number one is one of the worst comic books I've ever read because literally nothing happens in it. You want to talk about a guy who was just doing a bunch of splash pages? I, I think I read it in three minutes. I, I, I you know it was just, literally nothing happens, and I think if you collect those first two stories. Not much happens, but a little bit happens. A little bit more and, happens. And yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that it, that that's very much the case. And look, there's uh, obviously there's exceptions. It's like you take a great six part story like Craven's Last Hunt, you know, something like that, or if you go back further, like a Dark Phoenix, you know, something that happened over a set number of issues. But yeah, when you were writing for the trade paperback, uh, I feel like it, it lost something. What what's great about something like Dark Phoenix or the the Amazing Spider-Man, like the Gang War or the original Hobgoblin, it's part of like sort of like a fifty-issue arc, you know. It's just like, well, yeah. here's a little here's a little portion of it, yeah. You know, but it's like yeah. you're just writing like these six issues, and it's like, yeah, then the next one after that, that'll be a different six-issue. Uh, well, even 
even Jim Lee, like we're making jokes about Jim Lee, like it kind of was the same thing. 2006, I think, was Hush, and it was like, it was just sold on the fact that like Jim Lee was like doing this art and all the covers were amazing and the interior art was cool, but it was like you were mostly sold on Jim Lee doing the art for Hush. And like the story was fine, but it became this like legendary Batman story where I was like, I've read a lot of better Batman stories. It turns out that it's just like this shitty kid that was Bruce's friend as a little kid who like hates him 12 issues later. I was like, what a waste of time. And then they did like Man of Tomorrow or whatever the Jim Lee, Jeff Loeb Superman story was. It was like such a wash. Oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, That's that's interesting because that's that's essentially like the original plan for Mr. Sinister was that he was friends with Cyclops when they were both kids in the orphanage. And that's why (laughs) he has a dumb name like Mr. Sinister. Because he's a, yeah, he's like exactly. a twelve year old oh, yeah. boy's like you know embodiment of it. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that look the the comic book market in the early '90s basically killed the comic book market forever. You know, I mean, it still exists, sure, but you know, everything was being written for. Well, how can we make the hardcore collectors buy you know eight copies of this? You know, and I mean, they still do covers, variant yeah. covers and yeah, but I mean, yeah, that was the holograms and the foil covers and the bag with the card inside and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then also it's like, yeah, but what if we can get them to buy these six issues, but then buy them again as a trade paperback because they look nicer on the bookshelf, you know? Yeah. And then what happens is by the, so you go from the 90s where the books are very artist driven with the, the image boom and Jim Lee, Tom McClellan, and Rob Liefeld. Well, when you hit the 2000s, the books become writer driven. Right. So right. what you end up with is Ryan Michael Bendis, uh, Jeff Johns, uh, a little bit later than that. And so Brandon's relative, yeah. Yeah, these guys who have, you know, some of them have screenwriting backgrounds, and that's fine. They're, they're all very good writers, but again, you end up with this style that is a little more um, expanded. And so, like, Craven's Last Hunt is a good example where, you know, that's a six-issue story, but each issue sort of has a beginning, middle, and end within itself. Yeah. And that stopped happening for a while. So anyway, for the alternate, I thought it'd be interesting to sort of try to do what hadn't been done for about 10 years, which is to make a satisfying read each issue, but also have the story continue. Mm-hmm. Right. So that sure. was a real goal of mine. So I wanted each, you know, I, I didn't want each issue to be a snack. I wanted it to be a meal that's, you know, part of a, you know, larger, you know, day's worth of dining to make it a bad analogy, just continue bad analogy. <laughs> but, um, but uh, only available curbside in the exactly. Uh, yeah, you can't actually dine in. Yeah, and originally, originally I was going to draw it, and it just became easier to write it. So you know, I I, I tried to do. I, I actually drew the first twelve pages and kept writing issue two, wrote issue three. Now, and, just because I haven't written in a while, uh, sure. did are the first twelve pages of the finished version what you drew, or did somebody? No, okay, nothing in the book I drew except for I drew the covers for two through six. Right. Um, and that's a sort of a bit of a different story. So what ultimately ends up happening is I eventually thought I'd get around to, to drawing it. I, I found a publisher who accepted it based on my pitch with the 12 pages I had done uh, and the, the three issues of scripts. And we just decided, I basically told him, I'm not going to draw this. This is just like proof of concept material. Right, sure. So once I had a publishing deal, I went looking for artists. And literally, I, I just 
would be on the internet and I'd find guys that I would like and I'd just reach out to, to, to people. And shockingly, like almost everyone I reached out to was somewhat interested. And what would happen is, um, you know, I wasn't shooting for Jim Lees, of course. I was looking for people who, you know, had a pedigree and I could see some of their work but maybe hadn't quite made it. You know, I knew exactly what my target was. Right. So you weren't you weren't reaching out for Rob Liefeld because you wanted your characters to have feet? Well, that was also <laughs> a bonus, that's right. yeah. That's right. So I ended up finding this guy um, in Spain, Daniel Geet, who, who did the first 12 pages. Right. And um, I thought, that's great. So what I wanted to do is I wanted the book to have a Wizard of Oz concept. So I know we haven't talked about what the book's about, but basically it's a, it's a character who goes from one reality to another. So from one Earth to a different reality to a different one. And I thought much like Dorothy, wouldn't it be cool if he gets to another Earth and the art style's different to sort of reflect that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I got a different guy, contacted him. I really liked his work. He had worked on an independent book um, called The Black Code that I liked. And he wasn't interested at first. I said, let me show you the script. Just, just read it first and see what you think. And so he read the script, loved it. I said, okay, I can, I'll do, I'll do these 12 pages in issue one, but I'm not sure I'll come back for issue two. I said, that's okay. We'll worry about that later. Right. That's so fair. as it happened, he didn't come back for issue two because <laughs> he got better paying work, which means that work that paid like something. Right. And, uh, so the whole Wizard of Oz concept kind of went out the window. So he, he didn't want to be paid in Lone Star Beer. Exactly. So long story short is, is you can evidence by the fact that the book's only digital, the publishing deal fell through um, for reasons sort of based on the way comic books are distributed. Uh, the distributor changed the minimums for what a single issue comic had to sell. There was no way that an independent comic was going to hit, an independent comic at my level was going to hit that. Right. And uh, the publisher just said, oh, maybe we'll do like a three issue collection. And I just kind of, I didn't want to do that at the time. So we just kind of parted ways. And so that's when I went to comicsology at that point. Yeah. Right. So what happens in sort of the, the decade plus, though, that, you know, you first write it. So at what point do you reach out to these other artists? Does that process really take that long or did you put it on the back burner for a while? No, it was back burner. So um, my wife, Rachel, and I were living in Savannah at the time. I got a new job in North Carolina. We moved up there. And what really happened was the, I worked for a gift wrap company in the art department and they were bought by a larger company. They shut us down. So I was unemployed. Right. <laughs> and so once I was unemployed, I thought, that was a good time to try this comic book thing, see if there's sure. anything I can make happen. And, uh, you know, I was able to kind of get it off the ground, but then when the publishing deal fell through, that was a big disappointment. And um, so, but I was still able to find artists and still slowly able to, to pull it along. Uh, but when I was, I, I, the reason I stopped wanting to draw it was I thought it'd be interesting to see if I could jumpstart a career as a writer. So I started having this side job as an artist for a low writer and whatnot, mm. but sort of transitioning to being a writer, which I find that, I find writing much easier. Like art's a little bit more of a struggle, whereas yeah. writing seems very natural. I will say though, because like, I knew that we were gonna podcast about this and you had sent me a message maybe two months ago, kind of when the quarantine first started happening, like, hey, there's like a, a sale if you wanna use this code, like it'll, <laughs> get like and so like I was like you know I'm gonna buy all six issues at once and I read in that day like issues one through four and then I was working and I kind of like just it just fell away like a lot of, like I was just didn't keep up with it and then Christian said like let's uh podcast for Jeff's book and I was like cool 
So let me finish it out the day that we're going to read it. So it's fresh in my mind. And I read five and six today. And the cover for five, like I'm a sucker for cover art. And I know that like writing is your forte, but I honestly was like looking at the cover for five. I was like, I have to tell Jeff that this is like one of my favorite covers ever. It's just oh, like, cool. Oh, thanks. I thought it was so cool. I love that old pulp art style and the way that you did it. And just like in reading the notes on the, on the inside of the cover pages of like who did the art wear and like you did certain covers here and there and then certain art here and there I was like always kind of wanted to keep in mind like what was your work everybody did a good job and it was pretty fluid because it's sometimes it's weird in a comic even like DC or Marvel publishes a book and it's like the artist changes on certain pages yeah. and you turn the page and you're like what the fuck like it's like so different yeah but even though the artist was changing kind of in and out for these first six issues, it still had like a fluidity to it, which was really nice. And I thought that your work on the covers was really good. I've, I'm just singing your praises, you know. Oh, thanks, no. So that that covered, not to, to bounce around too much, but issue five is like a detective story. Exactly. So, so it's yeah. essentially, it's a continuing uh, plot line, but I get to focus on one character who's like the team detective. And so I think that's a great time to sort of experiment with the pulp, uh, yeah. pulp lover style. It was very well done. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, let's talk about the the story yeah. in of itself and yeah. how it does deal with these uh, alternate uh, realities, and that is the title, the alternate. You've got uh, the let's see the the one we start with. He's just metal, not metal man, or or do I have them reversed? No, the one we start with is metal. M e t t l e. But yeah. he's the only superhero or superpowered person in his reality, right? Correct. Correct. And he's, you know, as the only superpowered person, if Jeff DeRay was the only superpowered person in reality, I believe that uh, he would uh, live somewhere that's pimped out and uh, he would uh, have a parade of ladies in and out and uh, he'd be an international superstar. Don't you think, Jeff DeRay? I feel like I'd be a super villain. <laughs> Just no, being honest. Correct. No, uh, being you'd be honest. Dr. Doom, I think. He see, hey, look. Nationalism, as long as it's for some weird European nation, it's cool, right? Yeah, as long as it's for a made-up nation. Yes, exactly. Uh, the problem but, being a oh, is people don't love you. See, this this guy Metal James Conrad, he wants people to love him. Right. Yeah. It's much more easier to do that by being a Hollywood action hero. So that's yeah. that's why he goes that route. And so he, of course, is uh, he finds himself in another reality where. Well, I guess I should let you explain your comic book, shouldn't I? No, I love it. Because if you understand it, that means it's working. But yeah, <laughs> eventually on his world, there's an alien invasion. Yeah. And through that, he gets sent to an alternate reality. And so, yeah, once he gets there, he discovers there are a lot of other superheroes and villains. It's much more like a Marvel DC universe. Yeah. But there's also another version of him who is like a much more like altruistic. Right. A smarter, Superman version. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he he's a, like a much stronger version. Like, basically, he is like George Reeves Superman, and then he goes to an alternate reality, and that Superman is, you know, is I, I don't even know if we have like like a, a an accurate. I don't think there's a. I don't know if there's a. Yeah, because it's not Henry Cavill. That's the problem. I was no, like, there's no, is too yeah. many Supermans. No, yeah. you don't know, there. George Reeves, Christopher Reeves. Yeah, I mean, look, I love Christopher. Christopher is the gold standard for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, in terms but, of power levels. About, 
But the power Frank level. Russian hat wearing Batman in right. Red Sun. That's not Frank Miller. Is that Frank Miller? No, anyway. that's Mark. Uh, Mark, Mark Miller. Miller. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. There's, and you Dave know. Johnson on the art. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, so but there's. A, I'm sorry. What, Jeff? You said a lot of nepotism in this. Yeah, a lot of business. Millers. That's right. Yeah. A lot of Millers. All the Millers and Lees. But the uh, so I, and I yeah, that that was kind of the thing that really uh, that I found fascinating is this for all intents and purposes this much better version of him that exists which to me is like kind of the you know there's a lot of interesting things and other characters in there but the fact that he goes and he's like oh wait I'm the super lame version of this guy <laughs> you know yeah see I, when I I was I reread I reread the whole thing again today because I had time <laughs> and <laughs> And you read it a while back too. All right. Well, yeah. What, yeah let's say everybody kiss, kiss out to Jeff Winstead. Look, we all love it. That's <laughs> yeah. great. I love. I love I'm the Jeff Dory reread it because yeah, you were, you read it a while ago, right? Just I don't even think I knew you read it. You just meant you took it upon yourself to read it, right, Jeff Dore? We had like talked about it, and I yeah. knew it was on this platform, and I think it was like something where I got an email because I think it was something to do with Amazon purchasing Comicsology or some promotion thereof because my account is through the Amazon account, right? So yeah, mine too. I'm, yeah. I'm sure for, for whatever reason, I connected it that way. And then I was just like, I don't know. I just remember it was sometime like over a year ago or about a year ago when I just bought the first five and just sat and read through them all. Yeah, just I our friend, time, like, uh, Black Cast listener, Jen. Jennifer Yard, yes. Oh, she's yeah, a big, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. A big was, alternate fan, yeah. Yeah, she, she had read it all recently, and she was tweeting about it, and somehow Jeff ended up on the thread. And this thing I know, I was about to, you know, I was about to reach out to Jeff to give him a code, and all of a sudden, Jeff said, oh, I just bought the first five, and I'm, I'm in the middle of issue three or whatever. Like, yeah. really? That's super True. nice of you. True. So, I really appreciate that. So, yeah, it was cool. It's totally worth it. We're going to spell Jeff DeRavenen now, J-E-F-F-E. Jeffy. Jeffy. And then and and that's the the metal version of Jeff. Yeah. Why do I have to be the shitty version of myself? No, 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 no. Wait. <laughs> and then and then Metal Man is the Jeff Winstead, but obviously because But the one with the dash, so he's evil. But because you're spelled J E F F E, we can also call you codename Hefe. Hefe. Yeah. Hefe. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, and Jeff DeRay, that's, uh, that's cool that you took it upon yourself to read it. But uh, what, what did you think kind of rereading it and being able to read it in one setting? I mean, that's the problem is that, you know, you've read it, been able to read it over different, I mean, yeah, what is it like five years, basically. Uh, and just some of your overall, like, what did you, what spoke to you the most about it rereading it this time? Like, I, I liked the notion of our hero being the lame version of of metal man well first i'd say it was lame <laughs> lame i don't think he's lame yeah. but first i would say one thing i thought was really cool is the first time i read it i read it on my phone and oh, and the way it does the panels is actually really interesting it like yeah. cuts from the parts of the page to each like part of the panel so it's like it did lays it, out the comic it, for it you. just did that on your phone or you mean it does it Okay. On the phone, on the app, on the phone. Yeah. Uh, and then today, I just I read it on the computer, so the whole page would pop up, and it was just like I was like, "This is less fun" because it, before it was like yeah. playing no, no, it I, out for me. I I think I read it. 
initially on an iPad and then, yeah, reading on a computer, it, it is less fun. I like when it moves, you it's, know? Yeah, yeah. It, it made it feel more dynamic, but it was still obviously enjoyable. It was just interesting how that did change the experience. I think it's really cool that it makes it like a better experience to consume it on the go. Cause to me, that would encourage me to get more and read more things versus feeling like I have to sit at my computer to read yeah. anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, Will mentioned that he was reading it that way too. And I thought oh, that's, that's an interesting way to have to read it on a laptop. Cause I've done the phone and iPad and mm -hmm. um, with the phone and, and so originally I had an iPad mini. I remember when comic books were on paper. Exactly. You used to flip the page well, and you might get a paper cut if the, the, if the splash page was too big. I usually, re I, I don't subscribe to anything digitally for comics before the quarantine. I was like, I'm still like a paper comic guy. I go to my comic shop every week. So like I try to zoom in on my laptop screen to make it as big as I could to read it as it could be almost organically like two pages i had to you know two finger scroll a little bit but like i could kind of emulate it a little bit so it's not yeah exactly if i two finger scroll it uh um, you know but it wasn't it actually wasn't that bad it, it on my phone it would have been a pain in the ass because yeah. my phone is is the screen is this big and then, yeah well, you know in all honesty i would say that it, it was the fact that reading the alternate and the fact that it was only available digitally it made me more comfortable with reading things digitally because I still prefer to have printed comics, but I, I've, I've certainly read a lot of things and I'm more comfortable with it because I had to read things this way. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is actually kind of cool. And I do like the idea that if you have something like Marvel Unlimited, which I do have, it's, you know, they don't have everything, but there's a lot of stuff. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah. Let me just read this thing that I actually would not have paid for. Right. You know, this specific limited series, that sort of a thing. So, yeah. And to um, Jeff's point, when you're reading on the phone, you can set it up to this. It does a thing called guided view. Yeah. Oh. Literally, yeah, just go from one panel to the next is what Jeff was talking about. And so, particularly if you're reading something like an older comic or even something like Watchmen, which is a nine-panel grid. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool because it's just like the same panel size over and over and over and over. So it really goes quickly and it's really right. and it gives a lot of motion. So. So I also wanted to say the, the point I keep forgetting to get to, which was I thought it was really interesting because even though I knew what was going to happen this time, it felt less like when you got to the alternate reality, my impressions or my assumptions were less that he was the lame version of this guy and more that this other guy had more secrets going on because of how aloof That's he was right, right off yeah. the bat it reminded me more of i can't remember his name for whatever reason but the bad superman from the boys that amazon show oh yeah yeah like i kind of it's a homelander he kind of almost almost reminds you of like oh is he going to be another homelander like he's too aloof to be trustworthy and then you find out he's just like i'm this is fucking with me. What the hell is this guy doing here? <laughs> uh, so you get the uh, the first issue up, and I don't know if when I first talked to you, if you had more than one issue up. Like, what's the the space between getting the second and you know subsequent issues up? Yeah, I feel like by the time we had um, talked on the Black Cast, there were yeah. four up. Yeah. Yeah, because so, I, I I didn't uh, I didn't get to it right away, but uh, somewhere in the back of my mind, maybe we commented on something, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that was the guy who wrote to me, because I yeah I think I read a few of them at once. But between getting the first issue up, how long before you get issue two up? 
And so what, what's that yeah. process of getting issue two finished? Right. So what happened is because I had three scripts and I thought I had this publishing deal, I was finding artists for all three issues at the same time. So once I realized the first two guys weren't going to stay, I started immediately looking for other artists. So I had art going for three issues at once at one point. And so once the book went to comiXology, um, the first is the first time you ever submit a book, it takes forever. I think it was a five month process. Wow. The first issue went live. But then after that, like this newest one, it, it was a month. You know, I submitted it two days later, they approved it and they, they put it up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Later. Yeah. I love the idea that it can be so fast because you know, yeah. the, the lead time that you needed, I'm, you know, I'm thinking more back in the day than right now from, you know, when they finished it, when it went to the printer and all that, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. you really couldn't make a change, you know, there, it was like really, you had to be months ahead of time. Yeah. And also now, I mean, you couldn't do this without computers because, you know, I got the, the guy who did um, issue, uh, well, I guess he did part of issue two. <laughs> issue two is the weirdest issue in terms of like going back and forth among different artists. And I tried to explain it in the story, like, oh, middle has this concussion. And because he has a concussion, everything looks fine. <laughs> <laughs> I actually added that dialogue because it's like, this is way too too much. For right. Time. But we, we just have to work with it at this point. Uh, but yeah, so the guy, uh, Gray Chuck, who finished up, who did issues uh, four or five in the first part of issue six, he's in Canada. The guy who did issue three is in Finland. Uh, the, my colorist is in Brazil. So it, it's pretty interesting. How do you, how do you just so comicsology helps you outsource to these people? Or like, how do no, you, how do you find no, no, no. them? They don't, they don't care about any of that stuff. Got it. They want a finished product and that's it. That's all yeah, they exactly. Okay. So I just, I find guys, like the colorist was more of a, like literally like going on a site that you like put out want ads for people. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the artists I always I wanted comic book artist. Exactly. And colorist the, and the artist I always would lurk and I'd find a guy who was drawing something that was a little above um, what I could probably get. And I reach out to those people. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And so issue three, like I said, consistent artist. Uh, the guy's name is Sammy Cavella. He's from Finland. He's got a real comic booky style, and I thought it was really good for that issue because it's very, it's the most like superhero-y book because like they have that the villains they're you know, playing that poker game that they're trying to break up. Right. Um, so uh, that was that was a cool experience. But so yeah, eventually it was, um, you know, the you get these th first three issues done, and then it's like, well, who's who's the artist now? See, you know, so I had to go back and find other people to do the other issues. But the nice thing was with issue six, I actually got back in touch with the guy who did the first half of issue one. And I said, hey, I have this epilogue in this newest issue. Would you have any interest in drawing it? So it's like sort of brings the whole thing full circle in a way if you're reading all the issues at once. The same guy who started is the guy who finishes it. Yeah, and uh, before we get to the you know, sort of the issue six, there's some uh, interesting inclusions of characters. You know, you're talking about the Wizard of Oz aspect to it, and at at some point we get characters that aren't characters that we know from the Wizard of Oz movie, but they're from the L. Frank Baum universe. The, you know, they're yeah. basically the Pumpkinhead guy, and I actually have no idea what that guy's name is, but Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you have him. Thanks, Lambert, for Christmas. Jack. Right. And yeah. it's Jack O Lantern. Jack O Lantern. Yeah. But it's basically, you know, though I guess a lot of that ended up public domain or something, right? Yeah. I mean, that's how you're able to use them, right? Right. right. So he's from the novels. Yeah. So the character. I just kind of took the character and I steampunked him up a little bit, so I sort of sure. made him more of like a son. Sort of like he's 
sort of combining this idea of he's this fantasy character, he's also this scientist. Uh, so that's why you have him like sort of doing things like examining the portal that metal came through, uh, working with the government to figure out like how to how to reverse engineer that. Um, so yeah, so he's public domain. So anybody can anybody that wants to use that character can use him. And the, the thing with the characters, um, <laughs> good. Yeah, he's exactly. Ah, ah, exactly. And I was gonna say he's from an alternate universe. That's right. That's right. So this, the, the thing everything. Screw you guys. I'm starting my alternative comic. Oh. <laughs> We're starting the alternative yeah, blast cast. It's ones. called the Cat Blast. <laughs> oh, the Cat Blast! Cat <laughs> Blast Fever. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I've already written TM next to that, so I think. <laughs> But uh, so yeah, so when I first started the book and I was like populating the team, originally I thought, well, I'll just make like analogies of the Avengers and the Justice League. Sure. And what happened is I went about it. <coughs> I was kind of bored with that idea because I thought it was just too one note. And so what ended up happening is that really the only character in the book that is a direct correlation to a Marvel or DC character is Metal Man, who's obviously sort of the Superman stand. Sure. Right, right. But I needed that for the reader as a shorthand to understand what I'm saying this guy is. Like, this is the pinnacle this guy's on. And so when Metal enters this universe, you understand right off the bat, because this guy has a cave and he wears his underwear on the outside, that this is what he's living up to, is this Superman level of standard. So the other characters are, you know, just came from uh, you know, different places that weren't as inspired by Marvel and DC stuff. So this is how I ended up with the Pumpkinhead guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then the most recent issue, sort of in the the epilogue portion, you you have some very recognizable characters, at least I thought. Blue uh, Beetle. Yeah, Blue yeah. Beetle. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. talk to, I, I know that uh, when, we on, when we had you on, when we had you on Marvel Movie News, we talked that gun. Blue I know Beatles. that when uh, we had your Marvel movie news, we talked a little bit about this, but uh, for the Blackcast audience, kind of talk about who those characters are and right. the surprising fact that they are actually public domain. Yeah, oh. so I have two characters that the names of which, if you're a Marvel fan or a DC fan, you'll recognize, which is Blue Beetle and Wonder Man. Yeah. So the interesting thing about these characters, though, the original versions of those characters, which in Wonder Man's case has nothing at all to do with Marvel's version, are public domain characters. So they were characters created in the 40s that when the companies went out of business, no one renewed the rights. Huh. And the way copyright worked at the time, you had to jump through a lot of hoops to maintain a copyright. And nobody bothered, so they fell into public domain. There are hundreds of lame superheroes like this. You know, some are some are cool, some aren't aren't so cool. The one of the more popular ones is a character called Black Terror. And so several publishers like Dynamite does a book. Mm. On and off, and I might have some good stuff. Well, this yeah. this reminds me that uh, Jeff Duray, Will, and myself, we need to make sure that we renew the copyright on the mediocre, our yeah. our personal Ooh. take of the yeah. Joker, because we don't <laughs> want that to fall. <laughs> in yeah, ha Yeah, he's an alternate Joker. You should get sure. the mediocre in there all the way. Yeah. We'll we'll take our issue nine. Maybe we'll take our percentage once that releases. Uh, but Blue Beetle is not, I, I don't know, are there multiple Blue Beetles, I guess? Yeah, is so that... Blue Beetle in particular was created in, the, in 1940. Right. Very popular character for the time. He had his own radio show. Um, had a long-running comic. No, this, was, this wasn't the Ted Cord Blue Beetle. This no, was no, another was version of Blue Beetle. Yeah, so, so this Blue Beetle was a guy named Dan Garrett. Okay. T. 
who got his powers through a, a, a vitamin called X2 that this scientist made for him. Love so it. he was a he was a cop. He was an Irish cop in his, in the, by day and his superhero by night. Oh, you know All what, right, pop? move along. Nothing to see here. Happened. All yeah. right, move it along. When I take me vitamins, I become the fucking blue beetle. Everybody knows that. Right. See, so yeah, I thought the blue Peter blue beetle was pizza. Waste. Totally say say that again, Jeff DeRay, because I like that a lot. I said I thought the blue beetle was Pete Best. Nah. Nah. Uh, so this blue beetle fades away to Best Beetle. And what happens is a, a, a company called Charlton starts Yeah, Hobby Kaye, exactly. So a company called Charlton starts using that character, but they tweak the origin. So now, instead of having a vitamin, he, he's an he's a archaeologist who finds a scarab in an Egyptian tomb that gives him supernatural powers. Wait a minute, that sounds like Moon Knight. It does sound like Moon Knight, but it's like not... Suspi like, suspiciously like Moon Knight. Well, DC yeah. folded in a lot of their characters from death, from Charb, or whatever it's called. They, Charlton. Right? Charlton, Charlton, thank you. So, thank you. Now, now, you have to understand, all this public domain stuff, like, fascinates me. Like, I'm super into it. Yeah. So, yeah, and by the way, this is of particular interest to our friend Jason Blair, who does intellectual property and copyright right. law. And right. I think he'll have been bored up until this point. No offense to you and your project, but now that you're talking about public domain and copyright law, he's probably writing like a you know a six thousand word response for us to read on the next. He's episode. writing issue seven of the alternate. Yes, as that's we true. Speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what he says. What he says about all this. So, what ends up happening? So, Charlton is this version of the character who has different powers. Eventually, they Steve Ditko leaves Marvel, goes to Charlton. I remember when Steve Ditko left Marvel. I said, "Steve, <laughs> what are you doing?" And he said, "Stan, I hate you." He but said anyway. nothing because he was an objectivist and he thought Stan should just know because he would just know. But yeah. that's a different story. So anyway, so he goes to he goes to Charlton. Uh, Dick Giordano was the editor at the time. Dick Giordano has this concept of having a bunch of heroes he calls the action hero line, none of which has superpowers, except for Captain Adam, who's a character that Steve Ditko created in his first go-around with Charlton in 1961. So back to Blue Beetle. So Blue Beetle becomes Ted Kord, mm. who is a guy who doesn't have any superpowers, but he has a flying bug, and he knows gymnastics, and he has all this technology that he uses to fight crime because he made a promise. I, lo I love that he knows that he gymnastics. He's like, legacy. hold on, let me do the somersault so that I can kick you. The, no, the pommel horse, Christian. I thought it was the that rhythmic like uh, twirling of the ribbon yeah. that he uses to distract <laughs> his enemies. In, in a fun way is honestly just Alan Moore making Owlman, you know, with the same craft, the owl, so what happens is Charlton goes out of business um, in the late 60s. Charlton not in charge. Exactly. Um, Dick Giordano, who was the editor of those books, goes to DC Comics. In the early, in the mid-80s, Paul Levis, who's the president of DC Comics, purchases the Charlton characters as a gift from Dick Giordano to use in the DC universe. So those characters are integrated into the DC universe with Crisis. So the Got first it. time you read Crisis number one, you'll see the Blue Beetle. That's his first DC appearance. Really? Yeah. That that late? I thought yeah, that late. was like old school. 
Okay. No, no, it was only 1985. So the character really hadn't been seen for the most part since the late 60s at that point. Yeah. So what would be of interest to Jeff is, uh, I'm sorry, Jason Blair. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Duray has no Look, everyone we know, their name might as well be Jeff. It's just easier. Excuse me. No, no. This is how we distinguish between the two of them. It's Hefe and Jeff. Right, right, right. Yeah. So for Jason Blair, is technically Charlton didn't copyright the books properly. They put the copyright notice on the wrong page. Yes. So those, all those characters are technically public domain. Now, good luck publishing them because DC will sue you, you know, put, give you a cease and desist, you'll never get it off the ground. Right. So, so anyway, long story short, DC owns those characters. So they've been publishing those, the, the Captain Adam, uh, Blue Beetle, The Question. Yeah. Uh, character oh, character. the question's my favorite. I love the question so much. Oh, yeah, me too. Except, well, that's, okay, we'll talk about this off another <laughs> time. But so Alan Moore pitches Watchmen with the Charlton characters. Got it. When DC sees the final pitch and he sees what they're going to do at the end, and basically he's killing all the characters, they say, you know what, we don't want to use the characters for this because we don't want to kill them off. We want to use them in perpetuity. So go make your own characters. So the Watchmen characters are just analogs of. Rorschach's the question, Night Owl is Blue Beetle, uh, Ozymandias is this uh, Charlton character named um, Thunderbolt, Pete Cannon Thunderbolt, mm. uh, uh, Dr. Manhattan is Captain Adam, and Silk Spectre is Nocturne. Got it. So that happens. Nocturne, and Nocturne becomes your own character. Oh, not Nocturne, Nightshade. Yeah, Nocturne is my character. Oh, okay, I was gonna say, wait a minute. No, no. Yeah, thank Nightshade, you. okay. Yeah. So anyway, so, as far as trademark goes, yeah. DC does own the trademark on the Blue Beetle. So what what's funny is you, I, I couldn't put on issue six cover, guest starring the Blue Beetle. Right. Because DC would sue my ass off. But you but can say it in the page. I Blue Beetle all day and all night. That's cool. I also felt like, I don't know if this is like reading too much into it, but like that, I don't even know who that character was. Because it was the tease at the end of uh, issue six. There was a very there was a Deathstroke vibe with the design of this character, and I was like, I don't actually know that person's name, but then another character referenced like Blue Beetle, and I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, oh my god, it, can he cross into things that he wants to? So I was very uh, excited for issue yeah, I was seven. Half when I sent that to Comicsology, I half wondered if they were going to flag it. Like, you yeah, because you had mentioned that to me sort of, you know, off air, just back and forth, is the fact that even though these are public domain characters, comicsology might be like, you know what, potentially this is too much of a headache. I don't so know if they weren't sure if they were going to accept it the way that it, it was it, it, it was drawn, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the original script, I actually didn't even call them out. I just called them the Beatle. And I thought, ah, you know, screw it. Let's just go in. If they want to reject it, they can reject it. I can change it later. So I just called him by name and it, it flew right by, so. Wow. Yeah, and I think that was the, kind of the interesting thing that heading into issue six, I kind of felt like, oh, you have this six issue story to kind of go back to the idea of everything's a trade paperback, but it's completely wide open. So what are your plans and you know your ambitions really for issues seven and beyond? Yeah, Will and I were talking about this a little bit on Twitter today, and so I actually don't know. So I'd love to keep it going. I have every intention to. I know exactly what happens through issue 12, um, actually through issue 
36, you know, more or less. Like, I don't know. Wow. Issue by issue. No, I love, I love that you have it through issue 36. I mean, you have to, right? You yeah, I'm no – Look, I've I've read enough comics where I don't think that they knew where they were going. You know, in issue four, much. Everyone watched Lost. We all know that after the pilot, nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. I, I really uh, wish my, you didn't bring up Lost because now it's going to make me angry. <laughs> because the Lost finale was like ten years ago, just the other day. And we won't like you when you're angry. You know? No, it's just you know, like the way that Lost ended, and this can somehow be relevant to comics. It ended in a way. That it made me hate the entire series. It made me feel like I had wasted my time. Because the whole time the creators were like, no, 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 no. The idea that this would be purgatory is crazy. That sounds so stupid. Believe us. Believe me. It's not purgatory. Oh, by the way, it's purgatory. And I was like, well, fuck you, you know, for wasting my time like that. And it's made me hate the fact that it was like a brilliant show for a few years there. And then it just lost its way. So, So, Jeff, we're saying... Make sure you have it planned out. <laughs> the nice thing is when it's it goes so many years without getting printed, it just lives in my head. So, you know, I just keep constantly having these ideas and I'll, I'll jot them down. And sometimes I'll tell Rachel, she's, did you write that down? I won't forget. She's, you better write it down because you might forget by the time you get to it. Yeah. You know, so. I forget so many things. Richard, Richard, because of the delay in you know, getting this stuff out. So I'm not sure what's next. I mean, the, the digital thing is uh, I enjoy it, but I love to see the books in print. Yeah, no, there's a, I, I believe I have a a print edition of issue one, right? You did a few of those for a comic con appearance, right? Yeah, I did a small run for like up here for Palm Springs. In in Palm Springs where you live, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I believe you're in the room I stayed in the time I visited you guys. I am in that room, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The leg lamp behind you, yeah. You still yeah, have exactly. the very uncomfortable, um, the Italian fragile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it it wasn't great, but it was fine. It, you know, we had a good time. I, it, no, like I, I, I love it out there oh, in Palm shit. Springs. I I gotta I, get my charger. I'm sorry, you guys. Oh, Will's that guy. Oh, right. The viewers, I have to get my my charger. All right, Will's got to go get his. Will's got to go get his charger. That's all right. When I read the epilogue, I'm gonna put him back in the waiting room. Uh, I'm gonna make him wait. (laughs) When I read the epilogue, I thought of the Jet Li movie one, and my hope is that all the metal men will fight in some weird pyramid at the end. Oh, sweet! Until there can only be one. Okay, I was thinking more of like the Highlander. It's similar. So in one, one, it's Jet Li, right? And he. So the idea is that you have all these versions of yourself across multiple realities. And this one version has figured out how to cross dimensions, but he's going and killing all the other versions of himself. And as he goes and kills these other ones, he and the remaining ones that are alive get stronger and faster and everything else until it's just him and one other version of himself competing to be the one. Have you ever seen this? That sounds awesome. It's badass. Early 2000s Jet Li. Well, you can give uh, Jeff DeRay a a special thanks to Jeff DeRay credit if you do that. (laughs) So, if uh, if you're able to, like, how how soon would you begin working on uh, issue ninety? Or sorry, issue seven. Do you think? Um, I've actually mostly written issue seven, so it's it's essentially it could be drawn. Like the the problem is like the my Canadian artist Alex Graychuck, who did the last um, three issues, he's on board. He's ready to keep working on it. But the book, um, let's say, it's not incredibly prof- profitable. Sure. No. No. I completely understand that. Like. 
I don't know. I, look, I don't think it's demeaning to say at this point it's kind of a hobby. It's the way that I describe yeah. the Black Cast. The Black exactly. Cast is in no way a professional endeavor. I do it because I think it's fun. I like talking to the guys. I like having on other guests and stuff like that. But it, it's really a hobby. There, there is no money to be gained. I don't lose a lot of money on it, but I lose a, I lose a little bit of money every single year just the fact that I do it, just by yeah. having the website and right. uh, SoundCloud yeah, sure. like and all that stuff. told me that you know, you can do the alternate the rest of your life. You're never going to work for Marvel DC, but you can make a decent living. I do it in a heartbeat. Like I take that yeah. deal. No problem. I, I would love to do it. Um, so, but as far as like any of the other guys involved, that's the problem by not doing it all myself. Thanks. Will. Uh, <laughs> Classic. I'm so glad I brought him back. <laughs> yeah. Because I, you know, obviously will wasn't there for a minute. But uh, yeah. now, now he's definitely back. So I mean, by not doing it all myself, I re feel responsible to these yeah. other guys. And even though a lot of them are on board to keep working on it, like I just feel bad. Yeah, know? because those guys don't make money, right? I mean, they've they basically no. Now, yeah. it, I mean, you know, there's if the book ever made money for sure, there'd be like you know, like a, is like, there any is there any interest? Not necessarily like obviously on your part, but have you tried to like pitch the idea of like, well, what if I put these six issues in a trade paperback? Yeah, that's, I was talking with Will on this on Twitter today. So that's my next thing. And so the problem now is, is um, the, the comic book industry was already in bad shape before COVID. And with yeah, absolutely. COVID, it's been in bad shape since no, and 1997. Long. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I would say earlier than that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's the oversaturation of the, the collectability of it and sort of writing and drawing books specifically towards the, you know, the collector's market as opposed to the storytelling market. I mean, right. Jeff Winstead and I, I mean, we've, we've bonded over a very specific era of Amazing Spider-Man, which is from the mid 80s, like when he first had the black costume and then that the symbiote eventually became Venom. But like the pre-Todd McFarlane era where like it was actually about just the stories before it became more artist driven. And you know, it's like I saw that happen in, in a number of books. I mean, we're talking about Todd McFarlane, we're talking about Jim Lee, you know, where like the art kind of dictated what was happening and they and editorial felt like that's what was actually bringing people to the book. And that's how Bob Harris at Marvel drives away, thanks to Jim Lee, the guy who had written X-Men for 16 years, you know? So it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you can kind of pinpoint that era and it didn't take long for me to just, you know, I mean, like, it wasn't even a decade that I actively read comics. You know, I was I, I at one point, I, I think I read, like, it felt like everything. You know, I was like, I'm going to get Thor. Thor? Who's reading Thor? Well, I was, you know, I mean, long before, he, you know, he was in a movie. So I think it's, uh, it still exists, you know, mostly out of kind of a place of nostalgia for people like all of us that we want there to still be comics and you know look new comics came out this week for the first time in a couple of months so i mean that's a step in the right direction but that reminds me i gotta call my shop and see what i can get what yeah. is your shop by the way let's give Gold them a shout out will golden apple comics on melrose uh, Boulevard. That's not, that's not close to where you live you should yeah, you should represent Earth the too? comic shop in the valley come on Last you live time. in the no. valley now 
but I've been going to Golden Apple since I moved to LA. So Golden Apple is my bread and butter, and I will drive out of my way to go to my comic book shop. That's a that's a good shop. That's like the one shop I went to the one time I went to uh, the first time I visited LA. Yeah. Well, uh, I like to. I live in Burbank. Yeah. So I like Black Cat Comics. They're mm -hmm. uh, they're great. They do a lot of uh, uh, Instagram live where they'll kind of do like a claim sale. It's like, all right, who wants this? You know, and if you're fast enough, you can get it, that sort of thing. But uh, Neil Adams has a shop in Burbank called the yeah. Krusty Bunkers. And so that's, that's right. And, and Neil will like be there and they'll do like, you know, Facebook live videos. I went, I met him. Yeah, he's, he's there a lot. Yeah. yeah. I found yeah. this really interesting article. It says the owner of the Golden Apple says Wally West is a tool and all the stories <laughs> should be Barry Allen's. <laughs> just weird fyi it's honestly really <laughs> aggressive and uncalled for but i'm just gonna let it go because like i don't know why you decided to like fucking pick on my mom and pop comic book shore and just fucking no, but I mean, them. also was he talking about the wild rose from the show let's, that sounds a little Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Thank you, actual Jeff, as opposed to Hefe. Let, let's be honest. I mean, clearly, Wally West is really the Ben Riley of superheroes. We all love no, Barry. No. So, Literally nobody loves Barry Allen, yeah. and everyone knows that. Let me explain the whole problem with Barry Allen. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Yes. Is a wonderful martyr. He was better off dead. Great. Just, right. the, the, the DC Universe is better off with him as a dead character. Yeah. And Will, did you, did you read Flash 200? The So it's like the first, um, Jeff Johns is writing, it was the end of the first Zoom story. I've, yeah, I have all Wally's entire run. So, so okay. Yeah. So at, at the end of that issue. Wait, um, was Linda with the kids when, they, when Barry comes back and helps him? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Barry comes back and they, he, reinstates Wally's secret identity, I think, in that issue. Yeah. And Wally says, uh, but Barry, if you do that, no one will know the sacrifice that you made. Right. Because they won't know that you were the Flash before me. Right. And Barry said, that doesn't matter. He gives us a great speech about that's being a hero isn't about getting acknowledgement for it. Yeah. And I literally cried. Like, that was the best Barry Allen scene. He's oh. much better as a dead guy. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree because it's the only time that you have somebody who picks up a mantle and actually makes the mantle more significant than the person who had it before him. Correct. The reason the Flash is an important character is because Wally picked it up from somebody who basically was like a C-string character. And Wally's like, I have to fill these boots literally and metaphorically and become this guy. And the only vet, like, the speed force all these wonderful things that were invented for the flash were invented for wally and like right. the, the only reason we have all of these things is because barry was dead to give them to him in this very strange but nice storytelling way of being like i couldn't do this so you have to do this and it's like he he has to like bear this burden but he will do it and I, I don't know it's just like that's good storytelling to me it's yeah. lazy, shitty storytelling when they're like, Jeff Johns, just uh, bring Barry Allen back in the Flash Rebirth. And you read that and you're like, this is like not a story. Green Lantern Rebirth has value. 
that work. Last rebirth is garbage. Right, totally a different thing. But yeah. I understand from a Warner Brothers, if yeah. you want to make a yeah, movie yeah, yeah. standpoint, that they need to have Barry Allen because yeah, you can't I mean, do Wally West because the origin studio, you know, you, that, you I mean, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to bring it uh, over to Marvel for a second, I mean, Marvel does the print comic book business at a loss because they want to generate you know, stories and intellectual property that'll translate into the movies where they make the real money, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, Marvel's movies reference very, very new storylines. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Civil War is a perfect yeah, example. Yeah, and Winter like this, Soldier and Civil War. Yeah, the Civil War comic book has such an awful ending. It was, like the, it was like, it was like Lost. I was like, oh, I was so into this. And uh, Jeff, did you just go to Jurassic World, Jeff Duray? Yeah. What are you talking about? Hefe? <laughs> so you're just going somewhere else that is going to make Will Sterling angry? No, don't. Okay. If I'm going to, I'm going to make myself angry remembering that I said this tomorrow, but it's true. And I've said this since I was in college and I will not surrender on this standpoint, even though it's really brutal and I'll get canceled for this. I bought so many tie-ins to Civil War. All the, you know, I wanted to know everything. It was like such a big deal. And I was like such a hardcore Spider-Man fan for so long. I mean, like Wally and Spider-Man were like neck and neck for so long as a kid. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And Peter comes out to support Tony. And I was like, this is bullshit. The Iron Spider costume. I was like, okay, but I'm like, I'm still here for Peter. So I was like, I tried to, and I like Steve Rogers. Like Captain America was like my close second like, if Peter and Wally were my number ones, Marvel and DC, then Captain America and Superman were my close Yeah, you, you've always said that, like, like Steve Rogers yeah. is basically Marvel's Superman. Yeah. Right. So, when Steve in, like, the first issue of Civil War was like, no, we're not going to do this, I was like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. I had no idea that he would actually be the one to dissent. And when that storyline ended, I told my friends, I said, don't read this. It took nine months for all of this bullshit to unfold. It is the greatest stillbirth of comic book history. Yeah, no, it's, it's hugely it disappointing. It all the way to term, and it was a dead baby. And I feel bad saying that, but everyone knows it's true. No, it's, it's, it's bad. It sucks. No, I mean, look, the, the movie version is much better. And, and even then, it's not very good, but it's, no, it's better not than great. the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's to sort of go back much further to sort of classic. Uh, before we wind down, Jeff Winstead, I wanted to ask you, what were to you some of the biggest influences, you know, sort of like the comic book stories or storylines, whether it's individual issues or multi-issue arcs, that were you know, amongst your favorites, but really it was like, oh, I really want to do this. I want to be a comic book creator. Um, well, for sure, Crisis. I mean, that's what got me into comics. And um, also as the first time you sort of think, now, do people actually get paid to do this work? Like, that's just amazing. It was amazing to me as a kid. As a kid, I liked to doodle. And I thought, well, what can you do with it? I guess I'll be an architect. You know, like, I, that's the only job I needed you actually get paid to draw. Um, and so when I saw the guys got paid to do comic books, I just blew my mind. Um, 
So yeah, crisis from a storytelling standpoint. What I love about crisis, so the first we can talk about this on the crisis episode. Yeah, let's do a crisis episode. Yeah, as soon as yeah. I read it, we'll do it. Yeah, Come yeah, on, yeah. I can't believe you've never read. I read the fucking Dark Phoenix story that you let me borrow, and you haven't read the crisis story that Jeff gave you. Dark, Dark, Dark Phoenix is the single greatest comic book story ever written. No, so of course you've read it. And that's not so true at all. The first issue I read was issue seven of yeah. of crisis. So that crisis. that's. That's after the, like, six is the one where he's holding, like, dead Supergirl, right? No, it's, it's seven. Oh, that is seven. Okay. Yeah. So that's your, that's your, like, oh, look what fun this is. Dead yeah. Supergirl. Yeah, that's, that's my load zone. I guess that's the, that's the key to everything for me in comics. So, like, every, that's the perfect comic book is issue seven. When did Supergirl mm. die? And yeah. the, the beautiful thing about it is they, you see so many characters. I had no idea what was going on. And it was a little, like, a little bit like in the last episode, you guys were talking about Kiss. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, you wait a minute. So, if you don't love Kiss, you can't listen to a single episode of no, the Blackcast where we're really well, deep. At the same Kiss. time, at the same time, when you're trying to quantify the Avengers, you're like, okay, so I guess Wonder Man is yeah. Mark St. John, but, but like you know, Peter, like Black Captain Marvel like Bruce, is really Kulik Bruce Kulick. Yeah. So, like, I don't get the Kiss thing, but I totally understand. Most people like, don't. Like when you get into it, like the deep dive to all the like the, the backstory and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And so what Crisis did for me is when I was confused, like the story is, is linear, like it totally makes sense, but there's all these characters in the background, you have no idea who they are. Yeah. And instead of that making me, pushing me away from comics, it actually made me super interested. So I would buy those um, official handbooks of the Marvel Universe, DC's version was called Who's Who. Oh yeah, no, I I love the wanna... uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. I I don't even like it, it was it would have a picture like what yeah. like a drawing and then just typewritten text. Yeah, I now... I poured over those because I wanted to know about all the characters, and obviously we didn't have Wikipedia, we didn't have any kind of internet. Right. So I I had every I I don't know I would read those so intently, and I was like, well, what issue did that happen? I want to know this. I want to read these stories. To this day, there's stuff that I read about that I would still like. Like, I know very little. I haven't read the Kree Skrull War, but I would love to. Like the you know the Avengers, like the I don't know. That's like the 160s, like Roy Thomas. I would love to read all of that, but uh, I you know I've had it in my head for like 30 years that I want to read that. I have to ask now. So Jeff, I don't know how familiar you are with like some of the modern storylines, but I think that Crisis and Infinite Earths does a good job at at saying like, hey, here's this big expansive world you can be part of. And non-readers can kind of jump in because they sort of have like a, well, I know Superman and Flash and Batman and Wonder Woman and whatever. Final Crisis, written by Grant Morrison, my greatest nemesis, which you know, I know that you love him, but we also can, we had the same consensus on the Green Lantern later. Uh, Final Crisis written by him was like, I'm going to reach into the most obscure section of characters that literally no one can know and be part of and make a whole summer seminal story out of this. And I was in college when Final Crisis came out and I was like, I know some of these characters, but I'm like angry that this story is being told in this like arrogant way. I don't know. There's a difference, right? Crisis yeah. this is very accessible. Something like Final Crisis, where you have this like sort of head up his ass writer who has written yeah. lots of great stories, was just like, who gave him permission to do? Yeah, this? Final Crisis is trash. It's garbage. Thank you. 
Thank you. He, I, just, just, to, just to give validation to what you're saying. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yeah. But to, so, but speaking of like who's who, like to, so when I know Jeff DeRay made fun that I said that Blue Beetle was a gymnast. Like this was the kind of information you get in who's who would say yeah. he's an Olympic level athlete, Olympic level gymnast. You know, it would give all these sort of stats, and so I just love that stuff. So um, yeah, I love that. Like Batman, you're one. Obviously, like that early Frank Miller stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that blew my mind. Like that's to me, that's the comic you would hand to um, like a non-reader. Like it's a great sort of. I mean, not a child, obviously, but, you know, someone right. who, I mean, I, I was, you know, I was an early teen. So, you know, someone who, like, wanted to read comics but didn't know a whole lot about it, but knew the basic idea of Batman, like, it's a great, great book. Even The Dark Knight Returns, I was surprised that friends of mine in college, they took, like, a modern mythos uh, class, and comic books was, like, part of that, which I thought was cool, and they said we had to read Dark Knight Returns, and I was like, well, you can borrow my copy if you want. But I was surprised how many people who had never really read comic books before really loved The Dark Knight Returns. And you don't have a traditional Batman story with that. You have, mm. hey, we're giving you old 50-year-old Batman uh, coming back. And people loved it. Yeah, and I think The word you're looking for is Affleck. Affleck, yeah. Batfleck. Batfleck. Batfleck, yeah. But no, I was surprised. You know, people, people want... When you know the character, even in a in a simple way, you want big stories from them. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, how stupid is Warner Brothers for not doing a Dark Knight Returns movie with Michael Keaton right now? Like, how awesome would that be? Well, we had the design with the Ben Affleck thing with with Batman vs Superman. Yeah, I mean, they were they were certainly that that was what they were borrowing. I actually about. just read an article today that said they were hoping the Snyder. I stuff, read the same thing. Yeah, said will bring back Ben. So they're hoping that the Snyder cut of Justice League will bring the possibility of bringing Ben Affleck back into Batman roles I going knew forward. That. I knew that was going to be. But uh, uh, but Batman is Robert Pattinson, so I don't. That but that that movie supposedly was its own thing, right? And then same I as Joker. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, well, it's all interesting. What were you, you gonna say? We're starting. Their reality. Is the <laughs> <laughs> for people only listening to the audio, you're missing out on uh, that. Is the TV flash where it says Their reality is the flash. Jeff has been searching for something <laughs> for literally like 45 minutes. I'm sorry, Hefe. Hefe has been searching for something for 45 minutes. It's a sight gad for a podcast. Come on. Just, yeah, come on. What's wrong with that? Just to spite me. But the best part about it is that it this looks like weirdly Russian, <laughs> like communist propaganda. Yeah, no, no. It's like those posters of Stalin. It's like I the know. Americans. Yeah, like if you watch a new episode, like season of the Americans, like that would be the poster. Yeah, so the, yeah. But he's also yeah. way too happy at the position <laughs> of the arrow. Yeah, why he's, is he? Yeah. Barry Allen is the well because flash. he's the he's the kid from, arrow. He's catching the green arrow. He's the kid he's from the league. He's up. always happy. He's oh. catching the <laughs> green arrow, and only the people watching the YouTube clip can see me do this. You're welcome. I drove traffic to YouTube, <laughs> where we can make money on the Black podcast. YouTube channel, B L A D T C A S T on YouTube. Uh, interestingly, Jeff Winstead, I know that, uh, you know, dealing with alternate realities, there's 
very little red stories. There's two very little red stories that I know you're a big fan of that I've taken the time to read, which is Marvel two and one number 50 and Marvel two and one number 100, which is the thing going back in time and helping an earlier version of himself not be the thing anymore. And it sort of leads to this. That's sort of the weird thing. Sometimes when you deal with alternate realities and different timelines it's certainly the case with the Marvel series, What If, that if you change something, all the, if you change one little thing, all of a sudden, it, literally in the case of the issues that I'm referencing, n- Nazis are in charge of America in the 80s. So like, it's basically that, that series from, uh, well, I guess it's a, it's, it's a, it's a book first, but uh, Man in the High Castle. It's basically like, oh, if, 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 the, if Ben Grimm weren't the thing, the Red Skull would have come back and taken over and the Nazis would be running the United States in the mid 80s. It's kind of an interesting take, but uh, that alternate timeline is kind of a a fascinating thing, but it's like such a stark reality and no pun intended for Tony. Uh, But what, uh, how much of that factored into your sort of fascination with alternate realities so what's interesting is so yeah. issue 50 is really just a time travel story. And I, I, I read that um, as one of the first comics I ever had. Like some friend of mine found it in like the teacher's lounge or something in junior high and just gave it to me. And so uh, that was almost Which like is that. funny because the, the teacher's lounge at my high school was filled with like amyl nitrate and poppers and- Oh yeah, well mine was too. Two and alls and second alls. On top of the fridge. Yeah. My teacher's lab was filled with Doritos and Diet Cokes and apathy. <laughs> apathy. <laughs> anyway, so sorry, Jeff Winston. No, no, no. So, like in that comics, it's a time travel story. And of course, not to spoil it for people, but the the um, I'm I'm going to. Yeah, you, you can spoil it because who's gonna go like? Although I searched out Marvel two and one number one hundred, uh, I don't think most people will. Yeah. So basically, Ben Grimm goes back in time, um, redevelops a formula to cure the thing. And turns out, though, it only would have worked when the thing was early in the metamorphosis. So just like within right. a few months of the, the, the accident that caused him to become the thing. So Reed leaves the room and Ben Grimm has a big idea that I'm going to use the Dr. Toon time machine that we have like in our warehouse. I'm going to go back in time and give it to myself. Then I'll come back to the, to the future and I'll be no, like a human, normal human. And so he does that. And there's a great story of him fighting himself. And it's a, it's a lot of splash pages. It's, it's a very fun comic. It's a, it's a really good comic for younger kids, I think. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, he gives the formula to himself. He goes back to, his, to the present day and nothing's changed. He's, he's the, still a thing. And so Reed comes back into the, back into the room and says, oh yeah, the thing is, when you mess with the timeline, you don't change it, you just create an alternate timeline. Mm. So in that issue, you get the impression, that blew my mind as a kid, like, oh, this is wild, you know. And so you get the impression it's just an alternate timeline. So that was a fun book. Years later, I get the sequel, which is issue 100. So that was issue 50 of Marvel Team Up, and this was issue 100. And issue 100 is grim no pun intended i mean it's a like like christian was saying there's nazis 
Um, they explained that issue that he had not gone back in time. He had only gone to an alternate reality and sort of set these events in motion that caused like the Red Skull to come in power. It, it was really, it's a, it's a really dark story. Yeah, know, I mean, it's, it's very reminiscent of yeah. Days of Future Past where like the alternate reality is just so rough, which <clears throat> uh, Chris Claremont even admitted that he was inspired by uh, a story from the first doctor on Doctor Who where it's an alternate earth where the Daleks run everything and it was yeah. you know it's uh it, it's just like oh what's the worst thing you can think of yeah it's that and then kind of double it you know hey remember listen the motivation report has concluded but it I has concluded yes working on a sequel to superman relative dimensions and it may have something to do with exactly what you're talking about and maybe it's a part for you christian do I get to play the doctor's granddaughter, Susan? Uh, you only can be Susan forever. Yeah. I, I, would, lo I yeah. would love to play Susan. Yeah. Yeah. Should I audition for it now? <laughs> yes. Yes, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do a scene. Let's do a scene. Let's do a scene. Grandfather? No, 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 no. Stop. I gotta start. I gotta start. I gotta start. I gotta start. <laughs> Susan, my granddaughter. How are you? Oh my goodness, I've come through time and space. So wait a minute. So the uh, doctor, no, no. doctor is Orson Welles doing a champagne commercial? Uh, oh, yeah. the French! <laughs> For all you know, it could be the 15th doctor. We're outside of the realm of time and space on how we're going to do auditions. So, suck it up, and this is what we're going to do. Here we go. <clears throat> get ready. Everybody get ready. Cafe, Jeff, get ready. We're ready. Ah, oh, granddaughter, it's so good to see you. I've been lost in time and space for many years. You look so old. And so much less beautiful, grandfather. <laughs> Why do you sound like a boy, granddaughter? You have a boyish quality The world has you. changed so much since you were oh. last year. Oh, my goodness. Why, how? Oh. The French. <laughs> In what capacity has it has it changed? Uh, anyway, well, we we can save that for a, we'll do a whole audition episode. So, can I make a suggestion though? Yes, please. Yeah. Can we please sample parts of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three when they return to feudal Japan? Yes. <laughs> because that so. scene reminded me of the seminal scene where the grandfather and Yoshi are re reunited after the village. Honestly, grandfather yeah. Yoshi. Yeah, honestly, Yoshi. I was about to say Jeff, but I mean Hefe. Nothing gets to my heart closer than you referencing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three. Which is arguably the worst version the of worst. the movies, but also, but but uh, nostalgically is one of the best. So mm -hmm. thank you for. They yeah, also had some of the best toys, like those Ninja Turtles had like liver spots on Sam them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was Which is weird because now Corey Feldman has liver spots on him. So also. I have a random comic booky question uh, related to the to alternate timelines. I remember from like a um, it was like a Justice League cartoon. There was a version where they like they went back in time or something, and I'm pretty sure it was like Vandal Savage had brought 
like extra technology to the Nazis and they were like fighting super teched up Nazis in World War II at a certain point. And it was a kind of like somebody messed with the timeline or alternate timelines kind of thing. So wait, that was from the comics or just the show. Jeff DeRay, is is this something you remember watching or a wet wet dream that you had that the Nazis were super powerful and were able to win? Uh, Well, both. I mean, it's what I masturbate to to get to sleep at night, but uh, yeah, that, no, this is from like Justice League Ultimate or something. Yeah, it's Justice League Ultimate or one of those ones where it was like the early 2000s. Warner Brothers had their Justice League cartoons that would like, do, uh, the Justice League story. Is either Jeff Winston or Will Sterling know about this? Unlimited oh, is what you think. What did I say? Yeah, it's just like Unlimited. I don't oh, remember. I knew that. it was a you. Yeah, I don't remember that particular episode, but like, were there freedom fighters in that? Like, was there a character called? I'm sure it was. I I know it it had something to do with essentially, obviously, Vandal Savage and him. I feel like it was Vandal had figured out a way to go back into the timeline because he's like because he had been around for so long. Something like that allowed him to go back and change the past because he had been there at the time. So DC does have an alternate Earth where the Nazis won. And so in modern day, there's a group of characters called the Freedom Fighters, Uncle Sam, the Human Bomb, Phantom Lady, Dawman. This is just as um, silly as it sounds. So I don't know if they were, if they were referencing that. I do, I, I do remember some of those characters appearing in, in that series. So yeah, an alternate Earth where the Nazis won, also known as Durayville. <laughs> Just like Pleasantville, but different. But more pleasant. Yeah, much more pleasant. Well, cheaper uh, labor. Jeff Winstead, people can find the alternate on Comixology. And I guess separately from that, it is available on Amazon, but Comixology Unlimited. And I don't know, I guess issue seven, it's going to happen at some point, right? Oh, yeah, so we kind of digressed about the whole, like, what's next conversation. But, yeah, it'll happen at some point. It's just a matter of what form. So I'd like to go into print, but because of the the way the comic book shops are with the distributions and all that kind of stuff, numbers, um, print would probably be some sort of a crowdfunding thing, like Indiegogo. Sure. Um, so that's something I'm considering. So. You know, uh, and uh, as we referenced, uh, you and your lovely wife live in Palm Springs. That's right. And uh, obviously, California frowns upon non-essential travel. But I feel like, you tell me, Jeff Winstead, if you think this is accurate. Would it be essential travel for uh, three guys to spend a weekend uh, tripping on mushrooms at a rented Airbnb somewhere in Palm Springs? Great question. I think so. If you can find one that would accept you. Uh, I'm going to Joshua Tree in two weeks. By the way, FA, I'll be texting you. But uh, P.S. Here's Wally West. You're welcome, bitches. (laughs) And also, no, we should go to Palm Springs together as a group and trip on mushrooms. Well, but Jeff DeRay is uh, moving in like a month, right, Jeff DeRay? Yeah, that's why we're going to do all this before he leaves. Joshua Tree is open. I got to... I, I gotta see, I gotta see what I'm allowed to do. You know, I'm uh, about yeah. to relocate down to the OC uh, right. for about a month, so I have to, uh, I have to uh, check the uh, the guidelines. Fake for what news. I do. 
I heard it's called fake news. That's real news. Hey, you know what? In in Orange County right now, you can get a haircut. So that's uh, that's all the hey, reason I need to go there. Can you get a Wally West cut like this? <laughs> this weird, uh, like. I mean, not that hair, hair color, but out. that Wally West cut, I think I could rock that. I think okay. that would be good. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, Jeff Winstead, we've talked about where people can find the book, but where they can find you, it's just at Jeff Winstead on Twitter, right? Yes, on Twitter or Instagram, if you're so inclined. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and hopefully uh, we're able to do the non-essential travel because uh, I, lo I, I love Palm Springs. It's been uh, more than a year since I've been out that way, and I would Hard love to believe, yeah. return. Uh, but uh, that's uh, obviously not in the cards right now. But Jeff Duray, people can find you at Jeff Duray, but you don't want them to find you. You want them to find at Duray underscore Jeff, right? I think that's probably. No, no, no. Hefe. He's Hefe. the alternate version. Yeah. Jeff Winstead is the Hefe. Jeff. Hefe is the alternate Jeff. Hmm. And. Will Sterling, the replacement for the uh, motivation report yet to be announced, coming Correct. some point soon? We call it the Wally West podcast, and you can wait for it. Yeah. How about the Wally Best cast? Uh, at Will Sterling underscore, because that old guy still has at Will Sterling. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Hashtag fact. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. Uh, it's uh, always fun to talk to our pal Jeff Winstead. And uh, we look forward to his Wait, stuff. Real quick, can I, yeah. I just want to say something because, like, this shit is hard. Being quarantined is hard. Being an artist, pursuing your dreams is hard. Jeff, honestly, reading your books, the fact that you even have, I'm reading six published issues of your fucking comic book is incredible. I have nothing like, I do like web series, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like, you have a thing, you create it, you made it. It's amazing to be able to read it. I think that's super commendable and you should be super proud. And I think it's really wonderful. And I don't know, I'm emotional, but I'm just saying, I think it's no, awesome. I, I agree. It's, it's impressive. I think it's, because I think it's awesome that you fucking look, set out to make a thing and you made it and it's good. It's not, it's not just a thing where like, we have you on a podcast to like tell you fake, like this is good, like it's good and you should be proud. Well, thanks. I appreciate everybody checking it out. And uh, yeah, it was really it was nice of you guys to read it and have me on and chit chat about it. So it's cool. Oh, we're always, we're always happy to do it. But you think about it, we all have friends that are like, hey man, yeah, we should Look make a movie, you know? Book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or so like start taking 10 years to do a podcast, you know? Well, that's No, right. but that's, but see, that's the thing is you're an artist and you need the 10 years to make that podcast. <laughs> Has anyone else noticed you how this has been going through my head for most yes. of Yes, but you know what's also crazy is that we're coming up on the 10 years of this fake podcast. So you better get <laughs> well, yourself ready for what it becomes a reality. We're only seven and a half years into the Black Cast. And uh, Jeff DeRay didn't roll into the Black Cast until about year two. I'm so, just saying. I'm just saying. It's, it's still a little bad. ways off. Jeff DeRay has plenty of time. So the, I tump day. The debut <laughs> the episode the 10th anniversary episode. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what we're looking for. Um, but uh, Jeff Winstead, we'll we'll have you back as soon as I read Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh yeah, 
when I relocate down to the OC, I'm bringing that uh, trade paperback with me. I expect that to read it. And my Aquaman comic book. <laughs> oh, I can give those back to you. I read them. I like the. I like Aquaman. I think he's he, he can, he's a much more interesting character than he was on the Super Friends. I'll have to lend uh, you the Aquaman issues that Jeff sent me. Oh, I think Jeff Winstead sent you the like the hook hand. Yeah. Ones, right. Well, the the no, not hook hand, but. A fun four-part miniseries from the eighties. Blue costume. And, He's had that hook hand for a while, right? The blue costume. Yeah, it was after that. It was after that. Here's what I would like. I would like for in uh, in addition to the radio play that we have coming up from Will, another one which is the dramatic reading of Crisis on Infinite Earths sure. with sound effects, all from his mouth and. <laughs> To go so that Christian doesn't have to read it, he can just. Yeah, I would. Is there any chance that we could have Will Sterling do a Will Smith impression and it'll be called Crisis on Infinite Earths? Oh, only that is possible. Yeah. All right, that's that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. right, bye. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again to Jeff Winstead at Jeff Winstead at Twitter and Instagram. Will Sterling at Will Sterling underscore Jeff Winstead. Uh, no, Jeff Duray at Jeff Duray. And of course, uh, at Duray Hefe, underscore Jeff. Hefe Duray. Hefe and Duray. never forget the mediocre. I'm, of course, at Christian DMZ. That is all the time we have. And then some. And like it's like all the time we have in an extra 40 minutes. Because, hey, let's do the Blackcast for an hour always turns into let's do the Blackcast for an hour and 40 minutes. We will see you next time on the Blackcast. Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Blackcast on my phone ready to play right now. Listen in the Blackcast. I don't want to watch what's on the TV. iTunes that put on the BC. Podcasts on, no talking to me. Listen in the Blackcast. Keep up on comics and movies. New phone ring, I answer hoodies. I can't talk, call back if you please. Listen in the Blackcast. You don't know what you are missing. Damn fine show hosted by Christian. He's just dope, no ass, I'm kissing. Listen in the Blackcast. Click subscribe on this podcast. You won't be the first, but don't you be last. Listen while you pumping your gas. Listen in the Blackcast. On this episode, it's Jean Grey talking about the things that she say. So distracted, didn't feed Bay. Listen in the black cast. Met this girl, she smiled in my face. Black cast in Chile to my place. Had one beer, she brought a whole case. Listen in the black cast. Cops knock on the door and listen. Black cast on, they think I'm Christian. Cops ran off, now I ain't tripping. Listen in the black my point is, listen to this show. Don't need me to tell you it's dope. Rock so hard like Johnny Lithgow. Listen in the Black Cast. Oh yeah, that's the Black Cast. It's on the Ghost Twin TV or whatever. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's on AfterBuzz TV. That's right. That's that guy, Christian. You rock. Alright, several Texas had to go take care of some business, but I'm here to say, have a nice day, and listen to the damn show.